January 23rd, 2024. Let us gather together and experience the goodness of God. I'm Pastor Trey Comstock. We'll begin with our scripture of the week, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and a piece by me entitled, Getting Smashed by the Sledgehammer of Truth. Then, Pastor Emily Larson and I will be joined by Dr. Ashley Bogan to talk scripture, and more specifically, about accountability, John Wesley, and how not to be a Jonah. But first, a reading from Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days' walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. We all need to hear brutal truths sometimes. We don't like it, but it can be the only thing that will force us to grow. I've talked about this in this space before, but I'm a workaholic and spent my late teens through mid-twenties working to a damaging degree. I didn't need to rise and grind because I never went to bed in the first place. David Heinemann, the pastor at my college's Wesley Foundation, spent years calling me out for my way of living. He tried a wide variety of tactics, making me drop some activities to be able to live in the Wesley house, inviting me to take a break once a week by going on a walk with him, and, more often than not, finding every opportunity possible to point out to me the flaw in my life plan. Mostly, he just stated the obvious, that I had too many things on my calendar. But one night, while on a mission trip doing Hurricane Katrina relief, his argumentation became more pointed. Do you think you're more important than Jesus? What do you mean? You act like you can't take a break from working. You're right, I can't. A lot of people are counting on me for a lot of things. I can't stop. Jesus took breaks. The gospel tells us about Jesus leaving the crowd and resting. Sure. So why do you need to work without breaks if Jesus didn't? Huh? Is what you're doing so much more important than what Jesus did? Admittedly, I didn't have a particularly sensible response to that, even 18 years later, it still stings. 
A few years back, David and I spoke about that conversation. His reaction to his own words were, Wow, I really said that? I was a real, insert synonym for jerk. I certainly thought that he was a royal synonym for jerk, but that's not what really stung. On some level, he had thoroughly seen the truth behind my behavior and merely gave voice to the truth of it. I'd love to say from that moment of hearing the brutal truth, I changed my ways. It didn't happen. It took a further half decade before I truly started to clean up my act. But I traced the seeds of the change to that conversation of getting emotionally flayed with the truth. In the Old Testament, God had an official brutal truth dispenser, God's prophet. It's why the records of the prophets make for difficult reading. Woe to this group, and woe to this group, and woe to you if you keep acting like that other group. We see Jonah doing that for Nineveh. The book opens with a confirmation of the city's need for change. As it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, saying, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. In our text here in Jonah 3, we see Jonah delivering that message after a sojourn into the belly of a fish, as it says in verses 3 and 4. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The text doesn't provide us with any details of their specific wickedness other than a nod towards violence. Historically, Nineveh was once the capital of the Assyrian Empire, one of the biblical evil empires, and its aqueduct system may have been the historical basis for the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Something in there led to a prophetic declaration of wickedness that Jonah, after long delay, carried to them. They get the brutal truth that, rightly, their level of wickedness has condemned them to utter destruction. It does the trick, though. The king declares a fast. The humans and the livestock put on sackcloth. They refrain from violence. In 40 days, they turn in an entirely different direction. The prophecy achieves its divinely intended effect. Behavior change. Jonah serves as a reflection on the nature of prophecy, particularly prophecies of doom. Jonah takes off running because he knows that God won't really zap Nineveh. If they change, God will relent. In its own way, we glimpse grace, repentance, and redemption. The prophet Jonah shows them that their current path will end in rapidly approaching destruction. They choose repentance in the off chance that God will be merciful. As the king of Nineveh puts it succinctly in Jonah 3 verse 9. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn his fierce anger so that we do not perish. We know God does show mercy, much to Jonah's chagrin. The brutal words of the prophet shook loose the change. We need those voices in our lives. Every person needs someone who can speak those brutal truths and have a shot at being heard. 
few live truly blameless lives. So the vast majority of us have some rot sitting somewhere within our being. Human beings have a remarkable skill at self-deception. We can too easily rebuff polite inquiries or beating around the bush. It can take the smashing of the sledgehammer of truth being hefted by a person who knows us intimately. This is something like what John Wesley meant when he said his famous words that there is no holiness without social holiness. He wanted people to live within accountable relationships, that as many Christians as possible would be a part of a small group that would cut through the niceties and get to the root of people's struggles. John Wesley designed elaborate systems for these groups. At each weekly small group meeting, each person would have to report on their progress or lack of progress. Then during the week, the small group leader had their additional responsibility of checking in on each group member to see how they fared. John Wesley grasped the transformational power of the properly applied outside perspective. It changed Nineveh. It changed me. We can easily avoid all of this. We can build elaborate walls to keep people out. We can show up at church, sit down, listen, and go home without ever interacting. We can check the Christian box and move on unaffected. If we pause and build relationships, people might see how great a sinner that we truly are. They just might. And they might help us change. So as you just heard in the piece, I, this is, the book of Jonah is fascinatingly not a book about a fish, uh, is a book about grace and redemption. And I, in the sermon uh, that is also online that you can listen to, I focused more in on Jonah, that Jonah gets forgiveness um, and then gets mad that other people get forgiveness. Um, and in this piece focused in on the Nineveh, you know, the words of the prophet, this kind of harsh word of accountability shakes it loose and they change. And God sees that change and does uh, what God does. Uh, and so as we're about to dive into our discussion of it, um, but Emily, we have a special guest with us. We have an amazing guest with us. Speaking of those who are able to speak harsh words, but in loving and wonderful ways to us, um, Dr. Ashley Bogan, the General Secretary of General Commission on Archives and History is with us today. We actually had the privilege of hearing her speak uh, last summer in uh, at the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church, and she gave an incredible presentation about uh, John Wesley and how he uh, submitted to be more vile and gave us all the call uh, to to do the same, uh, to submit to be more vile. And so hopefully we'll get, to get into that some more. Um, and also a little later in the week with our uh, part, our segment on how to restart a church as well. So welcome. We're so excited that you're on the show today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I, I, I had to write some a million years ago. Okay, so like seventeen years ago. No, not it, not that long. Ten years ago, I had to write a seminary paper on Jonah. It was one. It was my big, you know, end of Old Testament exegesis on Jonah. And I'm not sure that however long ago that was, I really understood him. But the, finally, I felt like this making myself write this sermon 
and this piece and making myself write this piece as if I'm taking the entire book of Jonah rather than just this like, you know, oh, Nineveh got changed and got forgiven. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's the backstory on that? And the backstory on that is that Jonah really wants the like connection with God for himself and kind of wants to treat God like whatever. But Nineveh, no, 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 no. Nineveh needs to get zapped. And he gets really mad that Nineveh doesn't get zapped. And so I think I called everyone, including myself in the congregation, a hypocrite as part of the sermon this week. Um, And that I literally called myself a hypocrite and then seemed to heavily imply that we are all hypocrites. But I am luckily still pastor. And so it didn't all go terribly. (laughs) Yes, I love the book of Jonah as this great, I mean, it's the satire in Jonah is incredible. Um, Just this woe is me over a shriveled tree vine at the end of Jonah, but not over the entire city of Nineveh, which, by the way, gets saved and repents and has this great redemption story. Um, I love the book of Jonah for this because it's it's a great read. If you haven't read Jonah in a while, go back and read but all it's of only it. It's a very short read. F- it's go four chapters. chapters. You know, it's like mm-hmm. three pages. Uh, it You know, it's actually really hard to like flip through in your Bible at speed because it's just, it's in the like, you know, uh, you know, Isaiah, 66 chapters, Jeremiah goes on forever. But you get into your Obadiahs and your Micahs and it's like flipping, you miss it. And that's Jonah's in, it, we place Jonah in that section, even though it's not the like reports of the word of a prophet, but this like beautiful short, this beautiful comedic short story of the, the prophet that doesn't want to be. The prophet that then runs from God because he thinks that's going to work gets swallowed by a fish, spit out, then begrudgingly delivers this oracle, and then is mad the whole time he's mad, not because he doesn't want to deliver this oracle of doom, but because he doesn't want to deliver this oracle of doom because he's pretty sure that God is going to forgive them. Um, and what a statement about how God peep God's people. Me, as I, you know, as I said in the sermon, me included, um, can be then, well, they're going to get forgiven and I feel bad about that. I don't, I don't like that. That makes me feel some things, but I definitely want the forgiveness and I want to treat you like whatever. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Great. (laughs) For sure. For sure. But it's one of those, and, and I, as I think about even as how we do this show, like I think about, I or I have to keep that in mind, right? Because it can be very easy for, you know, when you are a person who gets uninterrupted time and a microphone in your face to just like slip into your, I'm better than everybody else. Um, and we're right and they're wrong. And Jonah is this, also this remind, you know, I, I, I take this, that reminder of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people got problems. You know, we need to point them out to a certain extent. But also... Uh, look in the mirror. Uh, and then the piece, this is where I take the kind of Wesleyan small group perspective of, yeah, yeah, we're an entire religious movement built on the idea that someone else should probably tell you what's wrong with you, and you should probably tell some other people what's wrong with them, but in really loving and consenting bounds. Yes, speaking truth in love, but having that accountability. There's there's was a model for that, right? That was John Wesley's model. And I like the example that you gave of your mentor so long ago calling you out on, you know, are you more important than Jesus? You know, I mean, like I I scripted that. That's li- like it was a long time ago. And so I know I'm not sure I got the exact words right, but that is essentially what he said. 
And, you know, him and I talking about it, year, you know, years after, probably 10 years after, almost 10 years after the fact, he's like, wow, I was a real jerk. And I'm like, yeah, David, you were. Um, but also, I, you know, uh, he was right. He was right. Um, it, it's, it, it stuck with me. I don't have the like, I, my, my story is never so simple of, and then everything changed. But that conversation definitely pointed that seed of, I'm, I need to go in this different direction because I am not, you know, uh, try as I might, I am not actually more important than Jesus. And Jesus takes a lot. We get in the Gospels, Jesus takes a lot of naps, right? My, his, my favorite nap of his is it's in this, they're in the storm and he's asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they're like waking him up to deal with this storm um, because Jesus took a nap. It is good to have those people in our lives, though, that can call us out on our junk, right? That can say, hang on, wait a minute, you need some accountability here. Maybe don't do that thing. Or, hey, Jonah, maybe have a change of heart because you missed the point entirely. Well, it is, it is that piece that when you think of faith life as just, I have a relationship with God and that's good. You know, I, we, we bring this up a lot, the like, the fallacy of church on your tractor, right? That I can worship God, same on my tractor as I can in a church. This is a thing that someone said to me at some point in my life. And sure, you can have a connection with God in any way, but part of what we are intentionally doing here is letting other people shape how we interact with God. Right, that other people can take on that voice of God, that other people can be our Jonas, can be our, you know, a sledgehammer of truth to break through the human power to lie to themselves. Because that power is strong. You can lie, to, you can convince yourself of anything uh, when it's convenient to you. And having that outside perspective is seems to be consistently a way in which God wants us to live. Easy for the, you know, Methodist person to say, but like, it really, like, it really seems to be what is happening here to Nineveh is that like this person shows up, hits them with the sledgehammer of truth and it goes better for them. <laughs> and I think what you just said there, uh, Trey, it, it reminds me so much of some of Wesley's quotes about, you know, there is no religion, but social religion. And that's exactly yeah. what he was saying, right? You cannot understand God or embody God's love or spread God's love just by being yourself, just by, by sitting alone and only praying to God. You have to have people around you because they hold you accountable, because they embody God in a different way and, and might call you out on some stuff. So yeah, that's wonderful. And, and so then it becomes that, like, that, uh, that emotionally risky thing of putting yourself in those relationships where they can say those things because there will be, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure Nineveh was like really felt really pleased, right? They seem to really freak out. Of like, you know, and again, this is this is satire play to the nth degree. I love that, like, even the donkeys and the animals have to wear sackcloth and can't drink water. And, you know, okay, good right. luck with that, friend. You try putting <laughs> sackcloth on a cow. Um, but, they, you know, there is, this involves 
putting yourself in an emotional risky position. But sometimes that little bit of emotional pain, again, assuming it's coming in a loving, consenting way, um, can save you a, a lifetime of trouble, right? I am certainly the better that for what David said to me, even if at the time, like it was, it hurt a lot and, you know, felt um, really, but that hurt was not, how dare, well, some of us, how dare you? Um, but some of it was, yeah, but like, maybe you're right. Like that was part of the hurt was, yeah, okay. Um, the, you know, uh, people, you know, uh, in, in life, people say a lot of mean things to you and a lot of them bounce off because it's just like, it's just not true. Um, but that one hurt in particular because like, yeah, okay. Now that was true. That's a thing. <laughs> oh, great. And, well done. And you said something about putting yourself in those, in those vulnerable relationships with people, right? Um, and something that I think that we could all be convicted on and we can all do a better job of is making sure that we are intentionally putting those relationships together and bringing those voices to the table. Um, you know, looking around at church boards, they used to be predominantly white or predominantly male or predominantly older generations or whatever the case may be. And so just looking around and saying, do you have younger voices? Do you have voices from different cultures represented? Do you have voices from different genders, different um, life perspectives, whatever the case may be in conversation with you in your church? And if you don't perhaps look around and wonder why at the very least, Um, but to, to have those other voices, to keep us accountable to one another as well. Well, and then there, the other side of this is, is the Jonah side, is that, the, that avoiding of hypocrisy, right? That other people who you think are worse sinners than you are also going to be forgiven and that's good for you. Not That's good for the world. That's good for you. That's good because it's a testimony of the power of God's grace. Also, you may be more of, you, may, you know, in, in grand fashion, you may be more of a sinner than you think you are and should probably be thankful about that, right? <laughs> Jonah really thinks that, like, he is better than the Ninevites. And from God's grand perspective, that just isn't true. And there is... Like, Jonah is this fascinating character study of, hey, these other people matter to God, too, and you should probably be thankful that God can include anybody, even you, Jonah, even these Ninevites. Ninevites? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, That is, you know, we call the show The Goodness of God. That is part of the goodness of God. That is God's grace. That is God's mercy. And... It can include you because there isn't this sign of there isn't this limitation on who that grace and inclusion is able to include, right? Because there aren't limits, you can always know, hey, I'm in, not because of anything to do with me, but because of everything to do with with God's goodness, with God's grace, with God's mercy. Um, when we start to go, yeah, but they over there, they're the real sinners. Now we're putting, now, now we're constraining it. Now we're putting boxes. Now we're saying there's a limit. And that way danger lies because at some point you put too many limits on this thing and you're out too. Yeah. I Was it, I, were you quoting someone or did you just tell me one time, the minute we start deciding who's in and who's out, we've lost? So that is, 
That is a summary. I don't know if he said it this way. That's a summary of um, a thing that Peter Story, um, the South African, the South African Methodist, white white South African Methodist bishop, um, that helped bring down apartheid. Um, that is the thing that he said um, uh, at a event that I attended. Um, you know, uh, the way he phrased it far more eloquently than that, that it was like, when you get to the pearly gates, uh, St. Peter is not going to ask you um, how big your church is. Um, St. Peter will ask you, you know, where were you on the things that matter in the world? That too often the church gets lost in the game of playing who's in and who's out. Um, something like, again, far more eloquent version of that. Um, and I often have summarized that, yeah, as soon as we're playing the game of who's in and who's out, we lose. Because when you start drawing that box, at some point, you're going to realize you don't fit in that box either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and, and like, to, to pull on something that we talked about last week um, in Letter from a Birmingham Jail, like, the world might have noticed that we like to draw boxes, right? Right. That, like, we have all these words of, like, love, and then we, like we collectively, we probably individually are guilty of being Jonah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, people have noticed that we have words of love and then like to put a box around those words of love. And that is, you know, A, it's a problem because it's not the way God works. And B, it's a problem because it's just, it, it, maybe it's a little strong, but poisons are a witness in the world. Um, anytime we play the Jonah game of who's in and who's out that, you know, oh, I'm really mad that Nineveh's get included because they're such bad sinners. Well, dude, that's, that's good, not bad. And that we have this message of love and then we end up really, we end up being the worst messengers of that love. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, you know, I'm as, I'm as guilty as anybody on this of, you know, the example I use in the sermon is, you know, I get really mad at pastors who have, like, major moral failings. Like, that is just a, you know, that is my, ends up by being my weird soapbox, partly because I've spent a lot of my life cleaning that up, of going to churches that have experienced those kinds of traumas, seeing the pain that it causes, seeing the, you know, people's how it impacts people's faith and ability to connect with God in the church. And so I go, yeah, no, I'm really mad about that, but I'm not like some perfect moral being. Um, I have my own sins. Um, some of which I slowly expiate over the course of this show. Um, it's just how that works. Um, but I, you know, I, I, that is my version of it where I look at, you know, Emily, I, I made you, and maybe we should do that as a how to restart a church is we re-listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Right. But I, mm-hmm. you know, I listened to that and we had to do a very similar thing um, at a very much smaller scale. And I want to mm-hmm. go, yeah, God, get him. And that's not good <laughs> because then I'm just being Jonah, even if I'm definitely, even though I definitely feel like I'm right. Like what that dude did bad um, and what that dude did bad, but it's not like I'm perfect. And, right. you know, this is the, th- this is that tension um, that I have to live in um, as a pastor who tries really hard to be the right kind of human, but also understanding that I, you know, in, in classic Christian fashion, also sin and fall short of the glory of God. It is hard not to be a Jonah in those situations sometimes, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so I, I'm interested, how have y'all heard, like, how have y'all heard Jonah previous? Like, 
what was your kind of previous encounter with the dude? Um, and, and kind of what, what has that, when you hear this text again, like what does that bring up in you? So I would say, you know, growing up, Jonah was purely the dude who got swallowed by a whale. I don't think I ever seriously thought about what that meant or what really was going on in the rest of the chapters um, until I, and I, I, I always harp on Wesley, but that's just what I do. Sure. Um, yeah, go figure. Us too. I, <laughs> right. Until like, uh, it's, there's this, so if you ever have the privilege to go to England um, and you go to Oxford, right, that's where John Wesley studied and he was a professor there or um, a fellow there, what they used to call professors. And you go to his Lincoln College, which is the college that he was a fellow of, and you can go to the chapel. And it has like this big dedication thing to John Wesley. And he writes in his journal that it's looking at the, I guess, mosaic or fresco on the wall of Jonah and the whale. Oh, wow. Brought him to um, thinking differently about ministry and about his purpose in life and all of this. And so, you know, it's, it's so interesting that we're going to talk about Wesley in the, in the later segment, but we're talking about Jonah and the whale because that is the scripture that changed his life and his projection and you could say his call. And I've always thought that was kind of weird, but like listening, (laughs) listening to the two of you explain Jonah and the whale, I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. Like Wesley wasn't scared of being swallowed by a fish. He was talking about all the other stuff. Okay. (laughs) No, he got nearly got arrested in Georgia, right? Like, you know, you right. really want to look at the like, the, the well, let's call it the the American arc of John Wesley's life, <laughs> which is the least noteworthy, but in some ways the most hilarious. Um, <laughs> that like he he so I'm gonna you're you're the historian, so I'm gonna get this all wrong, but like basically like he has this like pseudo romantic relationship with the gov with the governor's daughter, and it all goes south, and he refuses her communion, and the dad gets really mad, and then John Wesley has to flee, which is a very like gets swallowed by a fish kind of moment, <laughs> very Jonah moment there, yeah, but I I can see why that would be like John Wesley's call story because it is very much because the way that I used to think of Jonah was you know the getting swallowed by a fish part was because he was refusing God's call and when you don't do what God calls you to do eventually you're gonna have to you know the the running from God's call doesn't always work out well for you um but I I used to miss that whole second part of Jonah too the after the whale part where he is you know mad about Nineveh being saved. Um, and so, yeah, it, it makes sense that, that would be John Wesley's call story. It's really interesting that that's the, the fresco that he was looking at. Yeah. I, like, I, I, have, I have been, I've, I studied um, at Oxford in undergrad uh, for a little bit. Um, I missed that. That's an amazing, like, I am going to log that. Um, I'm going to log that in my memory banks. That is, because uh, again, Very like cool. I, I brought, I brought Wesley into this, again, partly because I'm me. I got John Wesley tattooed on my left arm. This is a true story. Uh, it is, uh, and I have, uh, I have Francis here. Um, it's good. It's good. Everyone needs a weird collection of United Methodist body art, uh, which I did. Um, as an ordained person, I didn't start getting tattoos until I was 30. These were very conscious, theologically informed decisions that I made. Um 
Wait, is it their face choices. or their signature? So, now I'm okay. So, no, no. So, <laughs> I know so, that's off track. So John, <laughs> let's see. Here we go. So John, it is literally all of him. It is, um, it is a, a, a copy of a painting of John Wesley preaching on his father's grave, which I understand may be apocryphal. doesn't matter. It's my favorite story. Um, of, you know, he's been, you know, unable to preach anywhere, goes and preaches on his father's grave because they go, hey, you can't take this from me. And so uh, when I got ordained, I got a painting of that uh, tattooed um, on my left arm in the colors of fire because, you know, he's, you know, uh, you know, you know, this this you know fiery spirit filled guy and then um, after Emily and I finished a, a, a period of circuit writing uh, where we served what was it at top at maxed at six churches six yeah yeah um, I got in East Texas, I, in East Texas um, I got uh, uh, Francis Asbury as a circuit writer um, on uh, on my right forearm uh, because it, yeah you know it's been a uh, uh, anyways, um, so as, as someone who really, you know, um, really likes the guy, um, I need to, I, I will remember that next time I do Jonah, I will, I will remember that, uh, that John really, uh, really connect with this text. And I see why, um, both the, like the, the, the accountability piece, the power that accountability can be, um, his own experiences of, wandering he never ran perhaps but the meandering way by which he arrives at this you know uh you know uh, fiery revivalist slash incredible organizer of humans um yeah no jonah i i think jonah makes sense for the guy yeah that's an interesting connection for sure and that is as good a place as any uh to bring in for a landing um this first segment um this uh how uh this uh this discussion of scripture. Um, if you have feedback or your own story of being swallowed by a fish or your own story of being held accountable, or frankly, you know, watch a sermon. I, I lay, you know, if you, if you want the confessional, the ways in which you've been Jonah, that's okay. The truth is we've all done it. We have all, this has happened to everybody. We need to mm-hmm. normalize the fact that we are not perfect. Um, and we can be Jonah's. Um, uh, email us the goodness of God pod at gmail.com. That is the goodness of God pod at gmail.com. Uh, special thanks to Dr. Ashley Boken, uh, for being on this. And then, uh, you, uh, listen again on our Friday show. You will hear her again, uh, talking about, uh, her amazing work. Um, if you would like to follow more of what we do here, um, it is at Servants Now on all of the things, on TikTok, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, ServantsNow.org, on the internet. Uh, this show and everything we do here in the Media Lab is made possible by a generous uh, innovators grant by the Texas Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. If you want to support the work that we do, literally like, comment, subscribe, and leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. All of that helps. Um, it helps more people see what we're doing, um, helps this show get to more places. In the meantime, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.